You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. When Jesus walked on this earth, he gave due reverence to law and government. Although he controlled all government, he chose to obey them. For example, as a cross-reference for this, in the 75th Psalm, in verses 6 and 7, there we are told, For exaltation comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge. He puts down one, and he exalts another. Today, Pastor Mike will remind you of Jesus's respect for government. When Jesus came, people thought that he was going to overthrow the Roman government and remove Roman oppression. But Jesus said, pay to Caesar what is Caesar's. As Christians, it's important that we follow our Lord's example in this way. Christ showed respect for the leaders of his time, even though he likely disagreed with much of their ruling. And while we might not always agree with our leaders, we still need to be respectful. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2 as he begins his message, A Christian's Relationship to Government. back in our series in 1 Peter. This is a Living Hope series, studies in the book of 1 Peter. And we'll just pick up where we left off last time. We're in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. And this message, the title is A Christian's Relationship to Government. And yes, I know that this is a very controversial uh, subject. It's a very confusing subject. So I hope we'll be able to clear up some of that confusion uh, for you. So let's go ahead and read that text of Scripture, and then we'll make our appeal to God through a prayer to open up that text of Scripture to us. So verse 13, Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. In other words, they won't have anything to blame us for. Verse 16, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. Father, we pray now that you bless the remainder of our time together as we treat this subject of a Christian's relationship to government. And Lord, clear up all of the uh, confusing issues that are a part of this subject. 
Lord, give us clarity. Lord, we thank you for providing this opportunity. Use it to just further your work in the lives of your people. God, we thank you. Bless now, let my words be your words, for we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so let's back up a little bit, just to set the stage for this study. Peter has reminded us in the previous verses that Christians are strangers and pilgrims in this world. Go back to verse 11. We talked about this last time. Notice the mention, we are sojourners, we are pilgrims. In other words, these are the ways that we are to relate to the world in which we live. You see, this is not our home. As the Bible puts it, we are in the world, but not of the world. And consequently, we should seek to live exemplary lives as a heavenly people, as a heavenly-minded people, dwelling in the midst of a godless generation. Now notice here, uh, but lest Peter be misunderstood, he is quick to inform us that separation from worldliness does not imply the avoidance of citizenship, the responsibilities to the state. Notice, let's go back to our text. Notice what he says there in verse 13. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man, for this is uh, for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme. You see, every believer is obligated not only to be a faithful Christian, but also a worthy citizen. We're not relieved from civil responsibilities. We are to respect and obey all the laws and ordinances that have been established by the state, whether we consider them right or wrong, lenient or stringent, essential or non-essential, and yes, there are some exceptions uh, to that rule. Uh, we'll talk some more about uh, that. We'll qualify the statements that I have just made. And so anyway, in verse 13, once again, let's go back to it. We are exhorted, submit yourselves to every ordinance. Now, I want you to think about this as an example. When Jesus walked on this earth, he gave due reverence to law and government. Although he controlled all government, he chose to obey them. For example, as a cross-reference for this, in the 75th Psalm, in verses 6 and 7, there we are told, for exaltation comes neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south, but God is the judge. He puts down one and he exalts another. You know, also as a cross-reference for this, on one other occasion, and the record of this is recorded for us in, in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 17, in verses 24 uh, through 27. Let's go ahead and uh, read that. So Matthew chapter 17, picking up in verse 24. There we were, are told, when they had come to Capernaum, that is Jesus and his disciples, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the temple uh, tax? Now, this temple tax was a fee that was applied to every Jewish uh, man. Uh, verse 25, so Peter responded, yes. And when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes from their sons or from strangers? Peter said to him, from strangers. And Jesus said to them, then the sons are free. 
Now, you've got to understand this in context. Remember now, uh, uh, all of the taxes, the temple taxes, were, uh, were commanded uh, of God to be paid to honor uh, God. But remember also, the rabbis and the priests were exempt from having to pay that uh, tax. Now, it was all about honoring God in and through their giving, honoring God. But of course, the son, and that's the reference here, who is Jesus, was exempt from paying that tax. But notice in verse 27, he says, Nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast a hook, take a fish that comes up first, and when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and for you. What a great guy to have around, right? Jesus. Uh, you need to pay the taxes and you don't have enough money. He just sends you down to the lake. You go fishing. You gut the fish. You'll find the money uh, that will enable you to pay the taxes that you owe. But in other words, the whole idea here is that Jesus did not want them to set a bad example for any of them. That is breaking the laws of the uh, land. You know, on another occasion here, also in Matthew's gospel, in chapter 22, if you just turn there uh, with me, in verses uh, 17 uh, through 21, let me set this up for you. During this time, the Pharisees were trying to turn the people against uh, Jesus. So they cornered him and they asked him this question. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Verse 17. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And it just killed the Israelites to have been put under tribute by uh, Rome. This was something that just really uh, killed them. And so he, the Pharisees are trying to turn the people against Jesus and they're waiting for him to respond in the wrong uh, way. But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. And so they brought him a Daenerys and he said to them, whose image and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are uh, God's. Okay, so it's all about perspective and the way that we relate to uh, government. Uh, and the way that we relate to government, the perspective that we have is very important. We need to understand that civil authorities are working for us. They have been ordained by God himself. Let me give you another cross-reference for this. In the book of Romans, in chapter 13, in verse 1, there we are told, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no authority or power but of God, the powers that are ordained or appointed of God. And then also notice there in that same chapter in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 13 and verse 4, we are also told, uh, Paul adds, that each one who ministers the affairs of the state is the minister of God to us for good. And then let's go back to our text now here in 1 Peter and add this to it now. Notice in verse 14, let's go back to our text. In 1 Peter we're told, those who administer the affairs of the state are sent by God, not only for our good, 
but also for the punishment of evil doers. Okay, let me ask you a question. Where would any of us be without the protection of our government? To whom would we go for refuge from evil doers? If we became a victim of a crime, who would we turn to? And yes, I know that there is weakness in our government. It's yes, it's not perfect. And at times, we find it to be corrupt and frivolous. I mean, uh, you know, talk about frivolous. Think about our national uh, debt, uh, how that has skyrocketed over these last few uh, years. And uh, I think all of these stimulus uh, packages uh, that have been uh, meted out by the government during this pandemic has only add to the, uh, our national debt. You know, I heard one person say, and I think this is appropriate, when you think of the government debt, which the next generation must pay off, it's no wonder a baby cries when it's born. <laughs> How accurate that, is, that should be. Yes, we cannot deny the graft and dishonesty practiced by some of our public officials. But let me ask you this question. Whose fault is it? Can we place the blame solely upon uh, them? Or at least in part, uh, not only the system of government, or is it our failure to elect men and women of spiritual integrity and moral fortitude to office, offices of authority? So I think that in some part, we, in some way, we have to share the blame. Here's the question. Have we neglected our citizenship responsibility? Listen, we are not to be indifferent. We are not to be disconnected. We mustn't complain and then do nothing about it. So what can we do about it? Well, use the freedom and liberty that we have to vote those people into their offices or ourselves run for office. You know, run for a seat on the school board if you don't like what our children are being taught in the school systems. Lift up your voice. Lend your voice. Do something. Don't just be a complainer. Don't be passive. Don't be disconnected. Hey, in spite of all that's wrong with our government here in the United States, it is still the most wonderful country to live in. I mean, think about all of the possibilities for advancement, education, the freedom to worship our God. Our civil, political, and religious liberties are more extensive than those in any other nation on the face of the earth. And yet here's the problem. We failed to utilize them to the best advantage possible. I mean, think about it. For example, the ability to advance economically has breeded covetousness and dishonesty. And in a man scramble to make money, what have we done? We've forgotten God. And then our educational advantages, that is the right that we have to education here in our country, our public school systems. Almost all, without exception, have been secularized. Or how about our religious advantages and freedoms? If you think about it, only a small percentage of our population is taking advantage of that freedom. I mean, how many people are actually attending services on a Sunday morning? How many attend church? And how many of those people that actually do attend church are born again of the Spirit of God? Gang, we have failed to use our liberties in the right way. 
So what's the answer to all of this? Well, listen, there's only one answer, and that is revival. In 2 Corinthians, and we, all, we have, always have a hope for revival. God stepping in, intervening in the affairs of the people here in the United States of America. In 2 Chronicles, in chapter 7, and verse 14, you know this verse of Scripture. In 2 Chronicles, in chapter 7, and verse 14, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and heal their land. Listen, gang, that's exactly what we need today. We need our land to be uh, healed. Now, what does that look like? Humbling ourselves before God, petitioning uh, the Lord. What does that look like? What does that revival look like? Well, it's the Holy Spirit owning us, owning men and women all over the land. We are His, men and women who love Jesus and will carry Him into government, into business, into schools, and into their homes. You see, revival has to begin with you and with me in the hearts of Christians. And this burden falls upon those of us who have professed Christ as our Lord and Savior. Now, let's talk about balance. Remember, there are certain prohibitions. We, I had mentioned that before. Uh, there are certain limitations to which Christians may go, that is, in submitting to government rule. For example... If it opposes Jesus in any way, shape, or form and prohibits the worship of God, that's where we draw the line. You remember in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 5, in verses 28 and uh, 29, and there we have the record of the apostles on trial for a second time in proclaiming the name of Jesus publicly. And so anyway, they're standing before the Sanhedrin, the presiding uh, Jewish religious council, and they uh, bring these charges against them a second time. And they say, and I quote, didn't we strictly command you not to teach in this name, that is in the name of Jesus, and look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. You know, oh to God that, you know, that people would be able to say that about us that we have filled our cities with the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Wherever we go, wherever we, we move, you know, that we might be able to share Christ uh, in our sphere of uh, influence, at our places of employment, in schools, that we would fill our cities with the doctrine of uh, Christ. And then he, they went on uh, to indict them and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, and this is, the, again, responding uh, the way that all of us should respond to certain limitations, prohibitions in the way that we relate uh, to government. Who are we ought to obey? God rather than a man. So there you have it. That's it. Obedience to him must supersede our allegiance to others. And then also notice there in verse 16, let's go back to our text now in First of Peter. Peter declares of us as Christians that we are free. And listen, we're talking about liberties now in this section. The Christian's most precious freedom and liberty is his deliverance from a sin. 
and sin's power. In John's Gospel in chapter 8, in verse 36, there we are told, Jesus said, if the Son should make you free, you shall be free indeed. So of far greater importance than the freedom a democracy offers is the freedom experienced when our sins are forgiven by God and the believer is united by faith to the living Christ. Listen, if we have received Jesus as our Lord, truly we are free. But notice there in verse 16, go back to our text now, we are never to use our liberty, our freedom, for a cloak of maliciousness. You see, Christian liberty is not to be used as an excuse to commit uh, evil. You know, uh, Paul addresses this in the book of Romans in chapter 6, when there he uh, says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And then he answers his own question. He says, God forbid. And so although that we are free, remember now we are the servants, the bond servants of God. And seeing how that we are the servants of God, we are under certain obligations. And what are those obligations? Well, Peter mentions them here in our text. Notice there in verse uh, 17. And they are fourfold. Let's go, let's go digging a little bit deeper. First of all, we are told, notice there in verse 17, we are expected to honor all men. Now, what does that look like? Well, that is believers should be known for their kindness, for their works of charity. We are to look out for the needs of our neighbor. And then the second obligation, notice there in verse 17, we are to love the brotherhood. You know, this reminds me of what is recorded for us by Paul in the book of Galatians in chapter 6 and verse 10 along these same lines, when he says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. In other words, we are to be involved, intensely concerned about the needs of other people, particularly those of the household of faith. We are to love the brotherhood. And then the third obligation that's listed here for us in verse 17, we are to fear God. That is, we are to respect Him with a reverential awe. And how are we to do that? Well, simply, we are to allow Him to possess our hearts, surrendering our will, our all to Him. And then the fourth and final obligation that's mentioned here, we are to honor the king. And how are we to honor the king? Well, particularly in relationship to our text, the exhortation. Well, basically, let us never, in the slightest measure, shirk our responsibility to exalt Jesus through good citizenship. So that's what it's all about. And these are the several ways that we are to relate to government. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be, oh my heart. As we study the book of First Peter together, we pray it has both encouraged and challenged you to grow in your faith. The Apostle Peter understands that standing firm in your faith isn't all so easy, but the reward is great. 
Learn from him today and practice self-discipline and trust the Lord to help you through. You've been listening to In My Father's House, and we're so glad you tuned in to hear today's teaching with Pastor Mike. To listen to today's message again or to hear more from Pastor Mike, just search for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio on your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram to keep up to date on our day-to-day happenings. If you're looking for a place in Midtown Manhattan to come together with others and worship Jesus, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday for worship at Harvest Christian Fellowship. You'll be able to reserve your seat and get directions to our easy access point at harvestnyc.org. We're also streaming each Sunday and Thursday evening service, so everyone has the chance to attend, even if you can't make it in person. If this broadcast has been an encouragement to you, would you consider supporting us? We'd love your prayerful support. And if you feel led, we're also thankful for any financial support. In fact, you can donate securely on our website, harvestnyc.org. Again, that was harvestnyc.org. Thanks for your support. And thanks for listening in today. Join us again next time for more with Pastor Mike right here on In My Father's House. Where I long to be, oh my heart, not be troubled.